0: welcome to all business no boundaries a collection of supply chain stories by dhl supply chain the north american leader in contract logistics i'm your host will haywood this is a place for in-depth discussions on the supply chain challenges keeping you up at night we're breaking beyond the boundaries that are limiting your supply chain let's dive in today's episode is from safety to sustainability what 2020 taught us about supply chains And my guest is Scott Seredin, who is the CEO of DHL Supply Chain
1: in North America.
0: Scott, thanks for being with me today.
1: Uh, Thanks, Will, for having me.
0: Okay, so you and I have worked together for a long time, but for our audience who's not as familiar with us, I'd like to start, if you could kind of set the stage of what is your role, what part of the business do you look after, how does that fit in within the broader DHL universe?
1: Okay. Well, first of all, DHL Supply Chain is a global leader in contract logistics. So uh, we're broken down in five regions, and North America is one of those regions. I lead that region, and you know, and we provide integrated end-to-end supply chain solutions in transportation and warehousing for all channels, like B two B, B two C, including e-commerce fulfillment. Got it. Got it. So within North America how are you guys organized? So, and first of all, I should say North America region for us is United States and Canada. There's another LATAM region that handles Mexico and the remaining part of South America. We really focus on key industries or sectors like automotive, consumer engineering and manufacturing, life science and healthcare, retail, and technology.
0: Okay, got it. And you said you're the largest provider, but can you just give us some dimensions around, I don't know, number of associates or number of sites, just so we get a sense of the scale of the business.
1: Yeah. So we have almost 36,000 full-time, about 3,300 part-time, and then about 7,000, I would call temporary seasonal associates. And most of those are happening in the fourth quarter because our e-commerce business is so big for us right now. You know, Probably six of that 7,000 is strictly for our e-commerce sites. And When we talk about sites, we operate in 490 operating sites in about 140 million
0: square feet of space. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, relative to kind of your next largest competitor, is that double the size or how do you measure that?
1: Yeah, we're about double the size of our closest competitor in North America. And it's about the same globally. Globally, we're about double the size of our closest competitor. All right. That's all helpful. So we're
0: recording this in early December of 2020. I'd like to spend. A few minutes looking back on the year, obviously, COVID has been the headline event throughout the year. So I wonder if you might go back to kind of the February, March timeframe and describe how you and your management team started to sort of internalize what was going on and then how you reacted.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say it was a two-pronged approach, both going at the same time. But I would say first and foremost for me was our procedures, You know, focusing on our procedures, for workplace safety there were things like getting the proper PPE cleaning protocols and getting the social distancing in in the work areas because work areas probably didn't have the social distancing they needed to have and then that same and uh, the second prong of that was really you know working on business continuity and aligning with our customers on critical volume and products within their supply chain and and how they wanted to address that
0: okay how long before you felt like you guys had sort of Control of the situation?
1: You know, because we have such scale and labor, I was never too concerned around could we get volume out? But I would say having true control of the situation around getting protocols into our sites. Within a couple of days, we were really good. I think we were a little bit rough the first couple of days, but the volume piece I wasn't as worried about because in the first couple of days, we didn't see as much of the surge as you saw probably within a month when you look at consumer goods or our e-commerce business or the retail e-com business or just any consumer good product was just flying off the shelf. And so, you know, we really had to balance out. And fortunately, because of our scale, we were able to move people around to where the business needed it. I um, mean, and I guess the other reason for that, that's remember we're a global company. And so it happened in Asia first. So it hit Asia first, then it hit Europe, then it hit us. So we'd already been given best practices and protocols on what to do. So it was very, very quick about educating our site leaders on the right things to do. So um, we weren't inventing something from scratch, like maybe some of our competitors would it be that don't have the global footprint or the scale.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that. You mentioned that consumer products and retail, some of the e-commerce channels really flared up in terms of volumes. Were there other parts of the business where you saw material declines? And and if so, how did you work with customers to get through that?
1: Sectors like automotive uh, did not do as well during the, the COVID situation early on. A lot of those were shut down. Yeah, you know, we worked with our customers, we moved employees around, as I mentioned, and you know, we, we work in when we say 490 operating sites, half of those sites are usually in an operating campus, there'll be multiple sites in the campus. So we have the ability to move people around to some of the areas that were hitting peak volumes that needed help. But you know, we were able to help map out with our customers what they want to do in volume, what they did not want to do in volume. And you know, I'm happy to say that It was good to be in supply chain because we did not do massive layoffs. If anything, we were looking for associates to help with some of the volume surges in the uh, consumer goods.
0: I've heard from multiple folks around the business that there were some underlying trends that we were aware of or expecting that COVID really either accelerated or, or affected. I wondered if you might talk about a few of those and what you saw happen, how customers reacted, how our sites responded and kind of how you see it going forward?
1: I think the trend that was already starting is customers were trying to get their product closer to the end consumer. This just accelerated that. So the network redundancy and in getting inventory positioned in the right place and built up in the right areas, it just accelerated that. And once again, fortunately we have scale. We were able to help do that. I would also say back to the labor piece of it. I think the labor, part was very difficult for a lot of companies. And we had to be very innovative in how we did our labor around recruiting training and and labor sharing, but also doing some surge pay and things of that sort in certain marketplaces to get the associates we needed. We're always working on digitalization and automation, but we were able to use digitalization data as king. So we were using data to for predictive things of trying to figure out where inventory needed to be, where DCs needed to be to make sure we were setting up our customers correctly. But the other piece is we were bringing in more robotics to help offset labor that we weren't getting. I mean, a prime example of that was just our peak season just now. We brought in, I said, 7,000 seasonal associates. We've also added 200 temporary robots in certain operations just to handle surge volume because we knew we couldn't get enough labor in certain markets we've been through a a lot of years
0: where customers have tried to kind of lean out their supply chains and extend them. Are you seeing through COVID more nearshoring trends? And part two of that question is, are customers willing to carry more inventory than they were pre-pandemic?
1: Yeah, I would say absolutely. You know, back to that strategy about redundancy. I mean, I think anytime you add another node, you're going to have more inventory. So, But the key was getting more inventory closer to the customer's because everyone expects quicker service these days. I mean, I don't know anyone who orders online who doesn't want it the same day or the next day. So absolutely there is an inventory bill. But I would also say there was less carrying of inventory and in one facility that didn't move. I think there's better data now to make sure you're carrying the right inventory in the right locations. But there was definitely a movement around getting inventory closer to the consumer and adding more nodes to ensure that you could handle the volume and, and handling disruptions. Think about some of the labor disruptions there were. I mean, I'm not going to give any customer names, but I had one customer who who only had one DC to do the distribution out of. And we had to shut it down early on for 24 hours because of a big outbreak in COVID to clean and wipe everything down. But we were fortunate enough to move the inventory to an area where we didn't have an issue a couple hours away and manage their inventory there. Going forward now, of course, those customers will not be working with a one-node solution. They realized that they were putting their business at risk. And
0: what about the globalization question? I mean, you guys are obviously a benefactor of globalism and global commerce. Do you think that sort of uh, starts to become less prevalent or do you see you know post-pandemic you know, kind of getting back to the way it used to be?
1: No, I mean, I think globalization will continue. It it has to. I mean, I think global trade is key for a lot of the emerging markets. So I don't see that stopping. I would say being in a mature market like us, it impacts us a lot less because there is a lot of nearshoring, but I don't see anything stopping globalization and international trade and moving products around and and sourcing product at a a cost-effective rate. But I, I would agree that, being one of the largest population places in the world and a stable economy, there will be a lot of things that will move back here that maybe moved across the border that created some issues for some of our customers. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So setting aside COVID, if it's possible from 2020, you know, are there other areas of key focus that you all have had the teams working on?
1: Well, I mean, during this year, we were really focusing on accelerating digitalization. So it was all about how we bring more automation. You know, the future for us is we are partnering with several different manufacturers around pallet movers and things of that sort, so we can rely less on hourly labor and, and to handle the peaks and volumes because, you know, the peaks and volumes used to be quarter ends, month ends, and then just the e-commerce peak season around, you know, November through the week before Christmas, you know, now there's a, there a lot more seasonality in a lot of businesses. And so we've got to find ways to inject capacity in our facilities. And so we are looking at more and more ways of driving robotics and data to be better at, at predicting how we should handle our volume.
0: We've had some other podcasts touching on this digitalization agenda. I, I guess from from where you sit at the CEO chair, what's your perspective on how you make investment decisions around different technologies. What do you look for in terms of payback, you know, aside from what you just listed there in terms of handling volume spikes and, and the like, you know, how do you see this impacting your business in the three to five year time horizon?
1: Oh, I think it's key to our future. And, you know, I, I don't think the ROI is perfect on all of them, but when you start talking about recruiting training and things of that sort, it doesn't need as much of an ROI as normal. So it's key to our future. A lot of the technology out there just isn't ready for play yet. You know, we're the best integrators of technology. And so we will stay, you know, we're not going to be singular focused with one manufacturer or one vendor who's coming up with new technology. We're across the board and piloting several things, getting them into production. And we'll have several different partners. And a part of that reason is, they can't handle the volume we need either. So it's not just about, you know, teaching, bringing them along and integrating them to what we need. But a lot of the stuff off the shelf today just does not provide what we need as well as an ROI. So we're going to continue partnering with different different vendors and driving, uh, driving the technology and putting it in our operations. I would say today we have in all of our our 490 operating sites, at least 80% of our sites have some sort of automation or digitalization that's driving capacity improvements and ROI improvements. And
0: that's been a big change in a pretty short period of time, right?
1: Yes, I mean, we just started making the investments uh, that would be late 2018, that quickly got things replicated and got things through pilot into production and into our facilities. Most of 19 and, and 20 during this uh, COVID situation.
0: So um, maybe a bridge question because I, I do want to get your thoughts on 2021. But I know you have just by virtue of working with you focus a lot on the culture of the business. You know, outside looking in, when you think about some of these automating technologies, they could have a maybe a negative impact on workplace culture. I wonder what your experience has been with with them what you hear from you know your operating teams with respect to the whole digitalization agenda and and really some pretty rapid changes to a business that was you know maybe not that fast changing not all that long ago.
1: Yeah, actually it's been positive. I mean, if you think about the, the you know the generations these days, they they want technology. That's their life today between iPhones and computers. So they embrace it. I mean, a lot of these things are collaborative robots they work with, so it makes their job easier. So, you know, we have not reduced, we've not taking head out, head, head count out. I mean, this is just supplementing our growth and what we need. And so it'll continue to be collaborative with our already associates and our people like technology and they want their job to be easier. And they're seeing that it provides an easier route for them to get their job done. Got it, got it. So putting
0: a bow on 2020, was it a successful year for DHL supply chain in North America?
1: Yes, we had a really good year um, because we have a diverse portfolio. I mean it comes back to what I said earlier around the sectors we 're in you know we 're in all the big sectors and it 's very diversified so even though know, the auto industry got re- hit really, really hard, other businesses did really really well when you think about technology and consumer goods and you think about e commerce, we offset all of that with volumes in other areas so It's going to be a good growth year. And it's uh, and it was also a good signings year, I guess, back to your point earlier, you know, about how we worked with our customers on redundancy and things of that sort. We had a great signings year, which, of course, will roll out into startups um, first quarter of next year through all next year of new business we won, because not only did we figure out a better way to fix their supply chain, they realized that we were essential and that they needed us because we were able to deliver. We delivered for our customers, and not a lot of other people could have done that.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great story. So how many startups do you expect for next year, approximately?
1: You know, we usually do around 60 startups. I would say approximately that number.
0: Yeah. I'd like to ask you how you see the year laying out through the lens of where are you continuing to put investments in the business? Where's your focus? Where are you directing your teams to uh, spend their time and resource?
1: So it always starts with talent. I mean, so it starts with our people. So you mentioned the culture earlier. We've got to keep developing people. If you don't have a culture of learning and teaching people new things, they're not going to stay with us. So we'll continue investing in in our people, we have certified programs that are either online or facilitated uh, trainings for our associates up to, up to my level. I would also say we will focus a lot in that area around diversity and diversity and inclusion training because diversity just really helps out the company. I mean, diversity of talent is not only gives you a bigger pool of vision, but it's also diversity of thought. So we don't want everybody who has the same background thinking the same way. So we'll continue pushing our agenda around developing our talent. And then I would say, you know, the piece we talked about earlier, we will continue on the automation and digitalization uh, journey. We are really pushing hard on that. And we're making great progress on on getting more and more into our operations that are that are helping us with peak volumes and just improving the solution for our customers, right? So it's really about getting a more effective, better solution for our customer. You know, I, I think another area that, you know, Deutsche Post DHL, our parent company is really big on pushing is our sustainability agenda. I mean, we really have uh, goals on that. And, and there are sustainable solutions out there that do work and do have an ROI. And I think, as the largest supply chain company in the world, we owe it to the environment, we owe it to our associates, we owe it to our customers to continue looking for solutions that are sustainable.
0: We had a really interesting podcast episode with Colgate on the importance of sustainability in their overall business strategy. So it seems like it's happening both from a provider standpoint and a customer standpoint, which is. Um, interesting and exciting.
1: I'm not only on a podcast, I'm a follower too. So <laughs> it was a good podcast.
0: Good. You 21st century man. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, we're right in the middle of, um, of peak season. Wondered if you you know could provide sort of a, a window into how that's playing out in, um, in the business now. It's been a weird year on demand, I know, from an e-commerce standpoint overall. And I know that the e-commerce team was concerned about not being able to forecast the season as well as they typically do. What are you hearing from them today?
1: It's going extremely well. I think first and foremost, uh, there was great planning with our customers around how they would do their flash sales and how they would drop orders. I think the there was a really good coordinated effort on that. We were nervous around, as I mentioned, we hired around 7,000 for peak season, 6,000 of those were strictly for e-commerce. But we were able to get those associates in through either search page or some sort of incentives. We were able to go to the market to compete against the other competitors and get the people we needed. So once you've got the headcount and we put in the, I mentioned to you, the robotics and some of our locations to help uh, drive capacity, it's worked really well. And there's been large drops and our order wells look good. We are on plan and all of our e-commerce facilities through Black Friday and Through uh, this past Monday, the drops were as expected, and the volume we delivered was what they expected, and we're managing the order well, very well.
0: So, just final question for you: We're at the end of the year. Um, I know this is always a chance for us to reflect and what have you. I've wondered if you had any anything you'd like to share with the audience, be it uh, customers or associates who tune in.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think first and foremost that I think. You know, with our customers and us, we did a great job for the world. I mean, North America and the world. Um, supply chain is essential. So I'm really proud that we work with customers that provide products that are needed, whether it's life science and healthcare or it's a consumer good. They're all important and needed and really excited how our associates stepped up and, uh, and came to work and got their job done. There's a lot of media out there talking about people not going to work. You know, we did have people that did get COVID, but we had procedures in place and and we, we had a, you know, a focus all procedures in a safe workplace. And I'm really excited that I work for an organization and I work with customers that are actually making a difference.
0: If you enjoyed the conversation today, please share it with a friend and rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us online at dhl.com slash all business, no boundaries, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at at DHL supply chain. We'll see you next time.